Hello and welcome, fellow adventurers, to Edu Talks Canada. I'm thrilled to embark on this journey with you. Whether you're a student exploring the world of higher education, an educator shaping the minds of tomorrow, or simply someone curious about the diverse experiences within university campuses, you've come to the right place. In this podcast series, we'll be your guides as we venture beyond borders and dive deep into the vibrant tapestry of campus life. From navigating cultural nuances and embracing diversity to celebrating academic achievements and sharing inspiring stories, EDU Talks Canada is your passport to a global learning experience. Hi everyone and thanks for joining our very first episode. I have Olga here with me as my first guest and uh, we are both regulated Canadian immigration consultants. Uh, She's an immigrant herself and she's worked in the international ed sector for over 10 years. Olga, thanks so much for joining this podcast. It's really lovely to have you here. And um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, what excites you about this industry? Um, Tell us a bit about your journey to Canada and coming into this sector. All right. Yes. Hello, everybody. I am uh, excited to be here. First of all, I think it's a great initiative and thank Atooth for inviting me. There's so much to speak about and this industry is exciting now. It used to be exciting when I started 10 years ago. But uh, with what we're getting from Immigration Refugee Citizenship Canada on a weekly or monthly basis, that means that if you want to have an interesting life, you could probably join the sector because there's so much exciting news, so much um, complex uh, situations, and life is always interesting. That's what drives me towards this. But when I started 10 years ago, uh, that was mostly driven by a curiosity that um, driven by a personal case than when my sister who wanted to visit Canada was not uh, able to because she was refused her first study permit and she was coming to study English and Immigration Refugee Citizenship Canada didn't really believe she was a good temporary resident. So that was sort of like, hmm, why not? Because she had, in my opinion now, 10 years later and 10 years later when she just now received her visa to come to Canada, uh, I believe that her case was good then, her case is great now, and she's finally coming. So this is a little bit of a personal start, and I apologize for that, I guess. (laughs) No, 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 that's fine. Uh, Did she get a study permit, or is she coming in as a visitor to Canada? She right now coming as a visitor, because I was fighting for that approval. Um, When I mentioned, when I was submitting her application, I basically said that, look, dear immigration refugee, RICC, I am the immigration consultant. My sister was is a good applicant. She's coming now with her daughter, who I didn't see, and I would be excited to host her in Canada. And there is so much more that ties her back to her home country, and she's a legitimate temporary resident. She will be coming back because it's just a family visit. So, to many who is listening here, probably will that will mean that would be very close to what they uh, have, like maybe international students who have family who want to visit them for graduation or for just. Uh, holiday break but it's probably not possible somebody get lucky and what is important in the application we will probably will cover that um maybe not in the first episode but later yeah because i think um as a general this podcast is we want to explore international education sector in canada let's say or for listeners who are interested in international education in canada and it's like we have indicated earlier, what like like we have mentioned in the in the intro, it's not just about immigration, but yes, 
being immigration consultants ourselves, we invariably always land up into the immigration or having conversations about immigration side of things when international education or, or, or a life as an international student is much more than just immigration. It's about the academics. It's about housing. It's about um, finances. Uh, probably finances, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, and here's the, another thing I wanted to let our listeners know about Olga, I will be posting your LinkedIn uh, <laughs> within our um, bio, so hopefully people can find you there. But it it says that you advocate for international students and future immigrants through leadership and accessible immigration advisory and ethical recruitment um, slash immigration policy analyst. So could you... Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background in terms of uh, recruiting students for Canada and what what was your perspective when it comes to recruiting? Because being an being an RCIC, uh, we have our ethical um, uh, regulations yep. to follow, I guess. Uh, and so, uh, you know, how do you view recruiting, or how do you, what is your perspective with recruiting, and what do you tell? Um, students who are or clients who are in, interested in studying in Canada? Mm -hmm. It's a great and very much loaded question. So recruitment is the beginning of any student's journey to study abroad, not only in Canada. So recruitment happens when um, a student thinks or a family thinks that their child potentially could be going to study abroad and then they select the country based on what they hear about the country. So that that's the, the very interesting um, area when what you hear about the country and what you hear about the prospects that that investment in education abroad could give to a child or to the client, like to the prospect. This is where I find is the corner. This is the cornerstone of the entire industry. So this, in my belief, and I am a true believer on in an ethical recruitment, it has to be coming from the point of the best interest of a client. And it's written in our code of conduct. Um, any client for immigration consultants or regulated immigration consultants, we should watch out for the best interest of a client. So when combining recruitment and combining immigration, um, I think it's just a seamless transition from you tell the prospective students everything that they need to know about the country and not only how much uh, it's going to cost them, what are the potential strategic pathways uh, from one scenario when you just study and come back. And that's possible. Some students don't need to stay and don't plan to stay. And some just um, see the education as a ticket. If I'm blunt, blunt, I'm as a ticket to permanent residency. And that's fine. That's one of the key strategies. We know we're in the industry. The industry is being very active with the news and the media covering international students. So immigration through education is a very sort of straightforward or should be a straightforward um, pathway. However, there are many sort of undercurrents there that uh, prospective students may not realize. That's where I see the recruitment is the beginning. The recruitment is the where all should be clarified before um, the student sales for studying abroad, be it Canada, UK, United States, I'm speaking of English-speaking countries, not necessarily them, like many Asian countries are also pretty active in the field, but you just need to know where you're going. And that's that's the job of the ethical recruiter, I think. Yeah. And your previous experience in recruiting students, was it a particular country? Now, I should inform our listeners that you are from Russia and mm -hmm. I think you moved to Canada 20 years yes. ago, I think you mentioned, or more than yeah, 20 years ago. more than 20 years ago. I would assume your primary um, source country was Russia. Was it Russia and other CIS regions? Yes. Okay. 
CIS region. So it's a it's called um, Commonwealth of Independent States. So Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, uh, Uzbekistan, like most stands. Uh, it could be Armenia, Azerbaijan, Moldova, Belarus, Belarus, Belarus. So all those states that basically um, sort of became independent states uh, as a result of Soviet Union collapse. Not many actually. For example, Ukraine didn't join it. Um, so right now, for obvious reasons, and I think they're more obvious now, what's why and why there was a tension that um, Ukraine didn't decide to actually join it. But it's it's the market. It's Russian-speaking market. Uh, most of Central Asia, let's say Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, um, they may not even, the recruits from the prospective students don't even speak Russian because now that mandate of um, Russian language being imposed on them is removed. So they're more in, they, they have their own languages. And I, I actually like that. I don't, there's a lot of political uh, themes I can cover because I'm very much into this and global politics, global trade and comics is what um, kind of close to my heart because by by training, I'm the economist first, then the business owner, then um, and business owner, I was in corporate finance. And it's kind of injecting what I, what I bring to the table. There's a lot of history. So, but past 10 years, uh, immigration sort of, in my opinion, it summarizes everything. Like it kind of becomes um, the sector when I can apply everything. Like I take a client's case and it's it's everything. It's an investment. Yeah. In terms of CIS regions and Russia, particularly now that you mentioned this, mentioned that, um, what are the challenges for students if they're considering Canada or particularly students coming from that region? Right? What are the challenges they face um, coming to Canada? Is it language primarily? Is it other factors? And is immigration top of their mind or are they just coming to, you know, kind of get an experience living abroad mm -hmm. in Canada? It used to be less so, right? Right now, education is becoming um, more and more, like I said, the main channel, main reason the students will come to study. But uh, when I started studying in Canada, was just for the reason of a better education uh, and international recognized diplomas and certifications credentials. So um, in our market used to be selecting and Canada was very much competing uh, with UK, uh, with Europe, actually, and uh, the United States. Less so um, Australia and New Zealand. It was far and whoever was ex adventurous enough, they will go to Australia. That was also the the destination very much so but english-speaking countries and they're let's say top five so russian-speaking market or cis markets um and central asia and middle east like we do have some uh we used to have some clients from there as well so it's it was for education so 10 years ago let's say i would get a client they yeah. would be coming to study so the family and they will join us for a call mom will be the parents will be there and the child and they will be selecting the program for the sake of the program they will be comparing the credential yeah. they would be will like they will be curious to know how let's say advanced education advanced uh, diploma at the college will be different from a bachelor at university so those things will be on the table Mm -hmm. on discussed during the first consultations so and just to maybe a little bit of a fact there so we started in 2013 as a custodianship agency and then just servicing minor students for um, for the reason that immigration refugee citizenship canada requires all underage students to have a custodian so we were just russian-speaking um custodians who would take uh take care of children coming to study at the college and our first exclusive contract with the Seneca College. And then we've we've been doing a great job there. And they start, well, why don't you start recruiting? Because wow. you ladies, pretty much mother figures for many students were just doing great jobs. So we did, of course, jumped on the offer and started. And this is is this custodianship 
particularly for minor students because if they're coming to college so they were 17 perhaps i guess yes they would be late 16 but mostly 17 not even a full year but um the suggestion like basically the college was looking for someone who would would be willing to take um, sort of to become an extended hand of a parent to represent and sign on, let's say, medical insurance. If there is a hospital admission or if there is a, anything that a parent would sign for the underage child, that was their responsibility. And it was a subscription based like it was a charge per month. So if you know, want to if you want to know economics of it, but um, we did have. Complex cases. We had a stu- we had clients who would we had clients who would um, call us every other week, but in general, pretty pretty happy client base, and most of them were converted to uh, recruits eventually. This is something I didn't know about you, yeah. Uh, especially about the custodianship, and that's great uh, to kind of have that information. Yeah. If we do have listeners who are minors or parents who are listening into this conversation to mm-hmm. perhaps get an idea about um, studying in Canada from professionals such as yourself and kind of getting the right information. For sure. I believe in every student having a potential to become a future immigrant, future permanent resident. but. Um, it depends on how prepared they are and the more they know about what's involved in this project. And do consider that, like to listeners, do consider that immigration as a project. That's how I explain it to my clients. I tell I I that's my tagline, I would say immigration is like an investment project. You invest your energy, your resources, financial time, uh, and your future it's it's you're waiting for the outcome so if let's say you were investing a hundred um of your currency into a bank you would it, it into anything you would want to have an outcome you want to know what the outcome is what the likelihood of it how long you need to wait when you want to have this payback so consider immigration as that project then it will be easier for you to sort of deal with certain setbacks, certain time frame corrections. That's exactly what uh, sometimes I tell students that I'm advising is that you need, and if you're looking at an ROI, return on investment into your education, whatever that be, whether it's the work permit that you, you are investing quite a lot of money. And of course, we see students day in, day out that, um, fail that are in academic suspensions which kind of impacts their immigration as well and uh which i mean it's easy to say but we do ask students you know you you really don't have i mean you're investing so much money you don't you can't afford to fail failing failing becoming a very much a risk factor if let's say can't afford to fail academically again if there is I see students, I believe in students' potential. Yes, there might be some lack of preparation or misunderstanding of how vigorous or non-vigorous the, um, the stu- studying abroad is, and specifically in Canada. As 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 you know, we see students sometimes that are very well equipped. They studied in, in high school. The rigor of their programs was, was sort of incomparable to what they have to study right now in the year one of the Canadian college. However, with that a sort of laxed approach students now seeing that well okay math is not what they used to study in Iran for example or Singapore or Russia it's way higher for example for a particular level of education but doesn't mean that you can actually go places relax work and just sort of wing it it's not going to happen and that's a very interesting point because I know we will be having academic advisors on the podcast in the future, hopefully, to kind of talk about um, that, the academic aspect of being a successful student in Canada, right? So, um, but I know you have the experience given <laughs> given the number of years that you've spent in this industry to specifically be- because you have that experience with recruitment and immigration, 
you you can specifically talk about okay if math is going to be um you know 0.1 in russia in canada it's going to be 0.5 so there's that difference you know I, i'm assuming the russian level of mathematics is a little bit more competitive yes, than the canadian correct. one but i'm not sure correct yes russia prides itself on being the european country or it thinks it is but it's very much an asian country too so and there is there is a half of it i was born in the middle of russia when i explain it to canadians i was born in the middle of russia south of it so from for, from that place where i left russia till this uh, pacific ocean that's where that's where siberia starts just to give an idea so it's very much an asian country and very much rooted in this um drills and um, math is very important all the um, uh, they they call it exact sciences, being physics, chemistry, bio. Bio cannot be even exact, but it's called the those sciences are very much appreciated as opposed to uh, humanities. So, but still, I find I'm if if I speak of uh, of students from our market, they are very well prepared. Like they come, they know like academically. They can totally study in Canada. And to those, if if you are from that market and many other, like I see that academically, many students are very well prepared. English being a factor that you may or may not be pre- prepared enough in the in the level of English or French, but mostly English. That who we see it's English speaking, and they need to pass those tests. But academically, they're well prepared. It may be a different system, but they know their numbers. For example, just given given our example, but um, the the rest of the preparedness. That's where they there is a lack of information or there is. Uh, uh, an excess of disinformation. So, like, it's it's what it means to be a student, what it means to study abroad. I would, I would think twice. I would actually like right now as a parent. Uh, my second son is in grade eleven, you can say, and then he's going to be choosing his last. Uh, subjects or last year subjects in the high school in preparation of where he's going to go to study after the high school to post-secondary. And we have a lot of conversations around, will it be abroad? Will it be um, what country? What's important? What is going to be the career? How you can pivot if, let's say, your investment in one stream uh, will be different from what it turns out to be because we have a complicated case of I love technology business, but I, I my my favorite subject is yeah. chemistry. This is and I'm talking about myself. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it's a great example and it's a personal example and that's why I believe it's a great example because as a parent yourself uh, with a child approaching that university college age or in 11th grade and kind of looking. And you mentioned something very critical that I picked up on is that, mm-hmm. oh, uh, is he going to study abroad? Yes. I want him to. I honestly want him to. But there is because I am this in this field, I think education abroad is just broadens your horizons. Like I would I would encourage anybody who even considers and there is some possibility there is opportunity if the parents can uh, finance it maybe they've been uh, setting some funding aside maybe it's just what always been the consideration do consider that more seriously but do consider it like it's it's and it's an, an incredible opportunity i think that i would be like I maybe like it's my hypothesis maybe that I'm in an international education pivoting from corporate finance ten years ago after the 2008 um, mortgage crisis in the states that affected Canada, but uh, that crush and how we pivoted. I had two children during that break, but that's beside the point. How I ended up in this area in this sector, and I'm loving it. We started recruiting custodianship, then recruitment. Then in 2015, two years later, I realized how connected education and immigration are. And then that's how I went to study for 
for the program to become an international, sorry, to become the regulated immigration consultant. And studying abroad, I think, despite the challenges that we have now, despite the news that may be putting an idea of studying abroad um, under scrutiny for some for some listeners, for example, it's still a great consideration. But just my my advice, and that comes with experience, <laughs> we advise a lot. That's what we do. Uh, my advice to consider it even more carefully and listen to the sources that you can quote. Because let's say, again, a quick example, if somebody comes to me and saying, well, I heard or a friend told me, and I say, show me the source, even if it's posted online, show me the source. Let's just read that paragraph and let's read it carefully. What does it say? Who is the authority behind that? Saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I always tell students, OK, go to the original source, whether it's uh, IRCC, go to Canada.ca and kind of find the information for yourself to be accurate. But <clears throat> again, let me come back to that personal point of your students of your kids studying abroad um as a family and okay as a family what is the expectation or what is the goal of studying abroad for your son being a canadian citizen you know he has the opportunity to study in some of the top universities in canada or in north america or in the world even right so let's say, is he planning to go to the States? Is he planning to go to UK? Is he planning to go and study in Russia for a bit and come back? Yes, yes. Well, let me unpack that. <laughs> um, let me start with what he's thinking. Because when it's it's me being a parent, being very open-minded parent, very much uh, the parent who is aware of what's potentially will be happening when my son goes abroad, he is not that adventurous he's not that open-minded but he still accepts the value because well there's a lot to like it's probably another podcast and we'll come back to this how you prepare your children for the career choice my husband by the way just recently because the deadline um for applying for universities let's say for canadian universities uh january um, end of January is the deadline to apply for Canadian universities. So right now is the last two days. This probably is the last weekend that everybody is like rushing to submit their uh, final pieces for their uh, applications. For fall 2024, and we're now in January. Yeah, so this year. So let's say two years later when he will be either finalizing it or maybe already getting some interviews and letters of acceptance because applications open um, in October, November. So a year in advance of the admission for next September, which is the main intake for universities, that's when admissions started. That's prior to that September, August, September, like a year in advance. Uh, American universities will want to uh, see you taking SATs. So those admission tests are done a year in advance, pretty much. So the preparation for someone who wants to go um, abroad, let's say if you're planning the States, then you start early, like a year in advance. Canada is a little bit more relaxed. There is no um, formal test. It's only your academic credentials and uh, your language uh, testing results. If you're a native and the English is your native language, how, let's say, Nigerian students, they don't need to pass it. So they just submit whatever the high school finishing. So it starts in advance and I can see how in how early a, a student wants to think about career choices, how in advance they need to start about start thinking about subjects they want to take now in preparation so they can show that they have, let's say, math, physics and chemistry in order to go into bio, um, life sciences, for example. So it's it's a long process starts in advance. I advise anybody who is considering studying in Canada and coming from abroad, they should do the same. Yes, you maybe have some relaxed um, um, requirements, but uh, well, IRCC, Immigration Refugee Citizenship Canada, will compensate. So there will be a lot of requirements on the visa or study permit side. So again, don't consider, don't, don't think Canada 
um, as a light in terms of paperwork destination. Anyway, going back to my son, he is um, not yet decided. He doesn't seem to be um, keen on leaving away from the family because, well, life is very comfortable at home. That's what he said. Why would I change that? That's what he said. But it was um, still me maybe keeping this door open because I'm very much excited to, I don't know, visit him in Paris if he goes to Sorbonne. And I, I would love that. I mean, I would love I would love to study in Sorbonne if I could, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if I'm, yeah, I mean, yeah, different circumstances. Different circumstances, but uh, this is how I actually initially, when I immigrated, like, just let me bring you back a little bit. My whole idea of changing the country, like it's, we're talking education now, but immigration is very much a part of conversation. So when I started back when I started thinking, when we together started thinking about um, my husband and I about immigration, it just sounded like a great idea. But what I told to myself, like that was my idea. I ran with it. I was a principal applicant um, as a financial analyst. I immigrated based on this profession um, because the doctors are not given points for work experience because the doctors in yeah, Russia... And I should- I should let listeners know that Olga's husband is a doctor. So yes, <laughs> it's another that's another yeah. that's another conversation because it's definitely worthwhile attending and listening into because there is a lot of um, and this is this is this will probably be a very interesting point where someone listening in will say, "Wait a minute! If your spouse is a doctor and you immigrant, you immigrated being the principal consultant, that's that's." You know, that's part of our job. Yes. That's what, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And yeah. people don't understand sometimes this aspect of our job where we have to say, well, you being the doctor might not be the best candidate. And that's so weird. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interesting. Exactly. It's you bring the very good point. When we, well, it was an interesting story, and let me just quickly tell you that I was the only the only option we could immigrate because my husband was not given points for his work experience as a doctor without a Canadian license. He would not be considered because his work experience was not even counted so that's a twist and it's not even that's how system works until it rec- it's recognized it's not going to happen so that was my my project and i love all things new this is one i am basically the perpetual uh novelty seeker and i loved it i loved the idea and then i ran with it and i think we will talk more about <clears throat> immigration as the episodes go on into this podcast and we are hoping we can connect with professionals from across Canada and give our listeners kind of um, idea of not just people like us who are based in Ontario and GTA, etc., but it's to kind of give an idea of what it means to study anywhere in Canada because we do uh, I mean, that's what I'm hoping to do out of this podcast is get more professionals in from across Canada. So um, moving on, I know we are, you know, we have kind of started this podcast in the cycle of a news blitz. So um, let me just let, you know, uh, our listeners know that we are recording at the end of January 2024. And it's been a week, I guess, since the big news um, or the current big news has come up. So whenever you're listening to this, I don't know if there's going to be another big news. <laughs> Maybe you're listening in June, July of 2024, and there was some other big news and you're deciding, oh, which big news is are they talking about? So we are talking about the cap on international students in Canada. And of course, uh, you know, this I wanted to bring you in to kind of talk about international education from your perspective, being um, ex-Russian national or grown up as a Russian national and now Canadian, and that recruitment piece from Russia. And of course, globally, clients or students having accessibility to Canada is now going to be limited for the next two years, right? And at this time, all we can do is speculate. I'm sure there's a lot of um, 
professionals, consultants, advisors, etc., all speculating on every other form of media, just like we are going to do. But that's the best we can do, right? Do you do you view an impact immediately in Canada, or do you think, okay, because there's already one million international students in Canada? We won't see the impact for another year, perhaps. Yes, I think the impact will be both immediate and long term, long lasting, I would say. Uh, if my first reaction to the news when IRCC announced a 35% cut for the current year, 2024, and then more, um, more cuts or same same level of, of reduction of number of study permits issued for 2025. So this temporary policy, and not just the keyword being temporary, but as we know, it may not be it, anything temporary may be long-lasting. So this reduction is clear affecting uh, the intake September 2024. Clearly the impact is immediate. Students who applied for um who submitted applications to the colleges and universities in Canada, but haven't got them. They may be impatiently waiting if if whoever didn't get the letter of acceptance, LOA in short, may be very much in panic. And we've had a fair share last week of students saying what to do. I haven't gotten it yet, but I want to apply right away because news, <laughs> because news. So, uh, it will affect the intake of 2024 significantly. And I believe some some provinces in Canada and we, us being in Toronto, Ontario, we will see a huge shift. In my opinion, some um, colleges should probably brace themselves. Some colleges already got the cold shower, meaning those colleges who heavily depended on uh, international enrollment, some partnerships, public-private partnerships. Those public colleges had, had had campuses in the center of Toronto and offered that opportunity for students sort of enjoy the, the surrounding, like enjoying the big city, but studying and um, at a, maybe a smaller setting, maybe negative will be in, in the mall, but you're studying at a public college that will be uh, giving you an opportunity, the credential of a public college and opportunity to apply for PGWP. Those are cut and they're not going to be eligible. So that's an immediate impact for sure. Um, so there will be reshuffle. Like I, I see that, um, in my opinion, we will notice our, we working with international students, not even agents uh, who are now in the origin countries, that they may not even realize the the significance right now. Like, okay, we're waiting for um, for the yeah. But I think I think a lot of agents abroad um, work or at least work on recruiting students from multiple countries, so they might be okay. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right? But yes, going back to the impact, Ontario will definitely see the the immediate immediate meaning short term impact will be noticeable. Why? Because um, given the news, given that IICC wants to regionalize enrollment, and in in the wording of the announcement, it says in a spirit of fairness, and the spirit of fairness, it's a very like I like seeing that because it's a recognition of fair to students having an option, um, fair to all the provinces that may experience a, a shortage of, um, let's say, labor shortages and some. And as we know, and let's not be, <laughs> and let's not be, let's be honest. Uh, international students do feel fill the labor shortages when they have an opportunity to work off campus and they they're very much needed but they may be more needed in northern ontario or in manitoba saskatchewan or atlantic canada so that fairness piece as well like i think uh, i appreciate the idea of uh, making immigration regional I'm sure the citizens or residents of Toronto, for example, Greater Toronto Area or Greater Vancouver Area, will probably see that impact that less um, the housing prices um, being stabilizing, not necessarily because students are coming in in 
fewer numbers, it's because, or in lower numbers, it's because um, that pressure is removed. There is a little bit more manageable absorption um, by the big city of all this influx of newcomers, newcomers who need support, newcomers who may know they may not know better. They may not know that they need the landlord. Um, what are the rights? Where to go? Like all that volume, it will likely be dispersed across the Canada, across the country, and that's a good thing. Um, economically, some the the sector educational institutions will definitely see the pinch. Uh, it will, in my opinion, it's a good wake up call. I actually want that to happen as an ethical recruiter in the past. I I never saw like I I want the agents to realize that I want the educational institutions to realize how much services they may have underinvested in while um accepting that international revenue. I do believe frankly that it's um the services are underinvested into like services to international students are not are there but they may be in the very nominal value. There may be not enough international student advisors who are um, equipped to service complex cases and whatnot. So I am, it's just getting very close to what we do on a daily basis, but it's, um, it's, it's important news. And again, we can have a separate podcast uh, next week when we probably will see clarification on what it means. And we can not even speculate and maybe put, put some numbers yeah, and that's exactly that's what I did not want to do because, yeah, I mean, as this news came out and as I was just browsing through YouTube and Instagram, like any other individual, I do it as well. But yes, I always tell students, especially, you know, if you're going to listen to YouTube or Instagram, um, it might be sometimes entertainment value only. But uh, yes, there might be licensed professionals who are also providing this information. But at the moment, it's all speculation. And that's not that's exactly what I want to avoid because we really have no idea at this moment, you know, at this particular point of time, like you said, yes, we can have another podcast once things have clarity and I don't want to speculate and create panic among students. And that's not the purpose of this podcast. This is more um, to talk about studying in Canada and kind of um, giving value to listeners on why they should come here and maybe also helping them get prepared to be here. Um, and it it kind of takes me back to when I also worked as uh, an independent consultant and recruiter. Um, being an individual consultant, I've never taken on more, num you know, more cases than I can um, than I can handle, right? So when I used to um, go on recruitment drives or something, I would tell clients, listen, if there's 50 of you here, I may only take two of you as clients because really I need you to fulfill certain criteria for you to become my client because that's the capacity I have <laughs> and that's the service level I want to achieve for my clients where the it's providing them information about housing, providing them information about driver's license, about banking, about their sin. Um, and by the time they get their study permit approved, they come to Canada, I wanted them mm -hmm. to be at least 80% ready with um with 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 the basic covered exactly yes right yes so I would Some never basic take on understanding. cases yeah I would never take on more than two or three cases a month for study permits I should say right for studying in Canada so um, of course there are other cases that we worked on anyways so <laughs> go ahead I, my, I, just to echo that um, it w in your case it was a little bit different from what I my experience has so if you had fifty uh, interested prospects to come to study in Canada. I come and I service the market. Well, I used to yes. do seminars so in India. So exactly. exactly. So, but that would be not my experience, but just to add a little bit of color to this, I would probably have three, those three or two clients that you would say you would take similar to me. I would take in, in the beginning, same number, 
but those will be the very motivated, the only one who had to stand at the educational fair when we will, I would either represent a college or um, a language school, because that's what we used to do in the beginning when we started recruiting. Um, I would probably go to Russian speaking to represent Sheridan College or Seneca College or when they needed or Hansen um, school, I thought, that's when the language mostly was appreciated. So we would speak to at the educational affairs. So we would have, I would typically have like around five, four very motivated students listening to what I have to say. And then they will stay and linger. If there is another question, they will be very shy to ask the question because not in the culture, they would listen, absorb, and then only ask the smart question. That's how ethnical, cultural thing works there. So um, don't don't sound dumb, basically, or don't ask a question at all. Anyway, so those are the clients who would stand to the end, ask that uh, those specific questions, they become clients. And that was a good fair would be if I come out of it with probably one, two, three solid prospects from that region for that institution. And then the institution will typically take them. So my job was basically to A, represent the institution, explain everything. That's why I know all the programs for most of the colleges and GTA. This is the top five, I call them. And it just comes easy to me. I know, let's say, if there's someone who wasn't given a seat at a particular college, that program may be offered there and there or maybe nowhere and that's why you need to the advice changes according to that so this knowledge like from the earlier days earlier years you would say just can't get rid of it so sometimes when i talk i just i just feel i just know too much and it's 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 a professional hazard and fair enough i think i think knowing too much is uh, not necessarily a bad thing, especially given the work that we do. <laughs> and given that, and again, I should tell my listeners, I do work very, I mean, all, Olga and I are colleagues at the same place. So yeah. I do see how she advises students and the kind of services. She's amazing. So Thank you. <laughs> uh, in case you ever, <laughs> in case you ever come across uh, the place where we work and you come across Olga, um rest assured you're in safe hands um likewise too. <laughs> no 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 um i i'm i'm I, I know exactly where i stand in terms of my knowledge and experience so yeah i i again uh yeah all I know things exactly student where. all things student just let's just put it this way it's i enjoy it yeah. and thank you for the compliment i will take it because um yeah <laughs> well it's it's a it's an interesting but not an easy not an easy job because we absorb a lot of yes not only curiosity and motivation to study abroad in canada specifically but we absorb a lot of heartache a lot of um yeah. confusion often quite often or maybe too often some broken dreams and um expectations yeah. not met so this is not an easy job and um yeah the fact that we're still standing after both of us being at least five years colleagues for for quite a while we should be yeah, yeah. we sh- we should we pride ourselves on what we do i i honestly and believe our we do a good job <laughs> yeah, and very also, modest of me to say, but just no, no, I I totally agree with that, honestly. Um, but here's the thing: I mean, I agree with that point, and I do tell students sometimes, you know, um, and it's coming back to our point on return on investment, right? You're going to be spending a lot of money to study in Canada. If work permit is your goal, then yes, we advise you on a, you know, based on your situation, what you need to do. But if you have, if you're in a situation where, you know, you can't get your work permit, you can't stay in Canada anymore. um, I do tell students that, you know, it's not end of the world or it's not end of the road, right? You study in Canada, you get your degree, diploma, certificate. You perhaps go back home, wherever you're from. The world is big enough to kind of... Uh, forge your own path somewhere, right? And it really depends what you want out of life. If you want to make money, you can make money anywhere, I assume. 
because <laughs> I mean, there are careers everywhere in the world. Um, depends how much money you want to make. You know, there's, there's a lot of questions you need to answer for yourself, right? Now, personally, I was an international student in uh, UK, US, and of course, finally Canada, but I was already kind of approved for Canadian migration when I came to Canada. So uh, you cannot really call me an international student in Canada. But yes, I did have a study permit for Canada. So um, I never thought of um, remaining in UK or US. I just went back home. And then finally, Canada is the place where I settled because I kind of matured a little bit more and I started seriously thinking, okay, where do I want to go? Um, compared to where I was at that moment, right? So I do tell students, you know, it's not the end of the world if you don't get a work permit in Canada. The world is much larger than it is. Um, so let's close out this podcast. Um, Olga, thank you so much for joining. Thanks uh, for inviting And me. for, yeah, no, no, and for sharing your experience. I know we have been trying to get this launch and i can't have a better guest for the first episode so thank you so much olga <laughs> sharing your experiences it's amazing any final parting thoughts for our listeners who are interested in canada i am excited to be here and thanks for having me obviously and i will want to be invited again because i think that it's this podcast is just an amazing outlet for me to you know, share all this wisdom and all the experiences because it's um, it's easier for me to actually do that in this sort of free-flowing conversation. So podcast is an amazing format because when we present to, uh, let's say, hundreds of students or dozens of students or we go one-on-one, it's, it's still on the point. It's typically... You, you answer the question or you stick to the presentation this way like the podcast way i think is just a an easier channel for for us to share and that's to share the story and when whoever is considering education in canada or education abroad in general consider this as a story like this is you sort of writing your own chapter like this is a one chapter it's it doesn't need to be the only one in that book of life so i would say um <laughs> i would say that it's it's an amazing opportunity for, for for you for students for parents to enrich your life um culturally and otherwise and canada is one of the key places that is still accepting and very much open to new people new immigrants and it's likely to stay this way with some modifications and some limitations that are now being imposed that will be just a better place i, I as a as a perennial optimist i would say that's going to be the case like it's not stopping don't take don't take the recent news seriously and if you're listening to us two years later you can have a laugh of how panicky or how worried everybody was um back in 2024 in the beginnings the best is yet to come so it, it, it goes for both immigration in canada education in canada and this particular podcast so i'm gonna i'm i'm happy to be the first guest thank you that is it for this episode of Edu Talks Canada. All episodes are produced by Achuth Kesavan and TG Kutamparor. Opening theme song by Rex Banner, Goals. Be sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review.